Welcome to the Smeichel Speaks podcast channel. I'm Joanne Smeichel, and I'm delighted that you tuned in for relevant leadership learning that will help you continue to soar. Enjoy this episode. Doug Stevenson is the founder of Story Theater International. He trains thousands of executives every year, and he's got the unique ability to give people hope in themselves and in their ability to clearly communicate their unique stories. Doug is also an author. He's got an awesome TED Talk that you need to check out. I had the opportunity to be a part of one of his workshops, well, actually to be a part of a few of his workshops through the years um, as a member of National Speakers Association. And the techniques I learned still serve me well as a speaker, as a consultant, and just in communicating in my everyday life. Welcome, Doug. Welcome, Thanks. welcome. Good to be here. Thanks for coming. Thanks for being a guest on the Smichael Speaks podcast channel. I read something on your website about you wanting to be like Bob Hope. Will you share your earliest dream? Well, for a lot of your listeners, they're probably asking the question, who the heck is Bob Hope? But when I was growing up, I'm 72 years old, so I was growing up in the 50s, and there were a lot of movies in the 50s that were called The Road to Zanzibar, The Road to Singapore, The Road to Morocco. And they were Bing Crosby and Bob Hope, and they were a comedy duo, and they were clowns. I mean, they went all over the world, and they got themselves in trouble. And I remember watching Bob Hope as a kid and just thinking, that's me. I'm, I'm, I'm like that guy. I'm kind of a clown. I'm kind of the funny guy. And I always related it when I watched movies, I related to the sidekick or the funny guy or the clown, uh, the Shakespearean clown, whatever. And so uh, as I as I grew older and decided I'm going to be an actor, I want to be an actor, I want to be the next Bob Hope. And I went off to Hollywood and I did I did plays, I did theater, I did Greece, I did musicals, I was a lead singer in a band. But my my image was I want to be this funny guy, I want to be this sidekick guy. And so that was an inspiration for me. And I believe that you and I, when we speak to groups of people and we're standing up there at the front of the room and we own our power and we own our personality and our and our skills and we tell these amazing stories, we become that inspiration for other people because there's always a spark. There's always a spark mm -hmm. somewhere along the line. You see someone, you hear about someone, you read about someone and they inspire you to go in a direction that you might not have thought of going in. But I never thought of going in any other direction than acting. That was the uh, that was plan A and plan B. I love Well, that. I ended up going to Hollywood and I tried to make it in Hollywood and I did a lot of great theater, but I didn't make it. So I ended up moving out of Hollywood with my tail between my legs. I, I failed. I just didn't make it. I, I was a good actor, but that has that, being a good actor has nothing to do with making it in Hollywood or making it in New York. There's just too many variables. So I ended up leaving, going to Colorado Springs. I got into real estate because I was a carpenter to make a living in LA. And I figured, well, I don't want to carry a tool belt and carry like plywood and drywall around anymore. But I do know houses and I do know construction and I do know how to get clients. And so in real estate, I started going to these uh, conventions and real estate breakfasts and rotary clubs. And there was always a speaker. Mm -hmm. At every one of these things, there was a speaker. But the thing is, when I'd go to a Rotary Club or a Sertoma Club or a real estate networking club, the speakers were always free speakers. Okay. Well, mm -hmm. that meant they weren't very good. They were not speaker <laughs> speakers. They were just people from the community 
who were asked to get up there and talk for 20 minutes. And I kept watching these people going, God, they're terrible. These people are terrible. They're, they're, they're boring. They have no presence. They have no personality. They don't really tell stories. I could do that. And so I started to, you know, give speeches around town. And before I knew it, people were saying, what, well, you know what? You're really good. You should go to the National Speakers Association because you could make a living doing this. And I kept hearing, you, you, you could what? You, you could make a living? <laughs> people get paid to speak? I didn't know this at the time. I had been in a bubble in Hollywood. I didn't know what was going on in the real world. Well, then I went to my first real estate convention. And there at the front of the room, up on a big stage, was a motivational keynote speaker. And my jaw dropped because mm. I knew this guy is not a realtor. He's not <laughs> boring. He knows what the hell he's doing. He just did 60 minutes that was amazing. It was like a, a one-man show. And he got paid. I know <laughs> he got paid. And I went, I, I went out of there and I thought, okay, this is this is a job. And I went to the National Speakers Association up in Denver, 1994. I went to my first meeting, scared to death. Mm -hmm. And I started to listen and I started to learn and I got involved. And I started to figure out what is this profession of speaking and why are stories so important? And so that was how I went from, I want to be the next Bob Hope to, I want to be an actor to a realtor, to a professional speaker. And I started speaking around Colorado Springs, teaching presentation skills. And one day, and this is the thing that's really, this is the turning point. I had in LA been part of a theater group an improvisational avant-garde theater group that did these weird exercises. And one night, the director walked out and he said, tonight we're going to do outer theater. I want you to find a partner and you're going to leave the theater and I want you all to do something way outside of your comfort zone, something that's a risk. So I partnered up with this guy, George, and he and I went streaking in Westwood, <laughs> just outside of UCLA, this, you know, one of these neighborhoods where there's a lot of people on the street and boutique shops and, you know, coffee shops and bookstores and boutique stores and movie theaters. Well, we streaked the movie theater line naked. And at the end of the alley, the other end of the alley, we got arrested <laughs> naked. Well, at the time, it was humiliating. I mean, I was I I, I thought I'm going to be because he literally arrested us, both of us naked handcuffed us, threw us in the car, took us to the West Los Angeles police station to book us as perverts. <laughs> I mean, I'd never been arrested. I'd never done anything weird in my life. It's like, I'm going to have a record as a pervert <laughs> for doing a theater exercise? Well, years and years and years later, when I was in Colorado Springs and I was starting to, you know, to give speeches around town, I was starting to find my way as a speaker because my first speech was terrifying. I couldn't breathe and I didn't know what I was doing. But over time, after about you know, 20, 30 different speeches around town to different groups, I started to get more comfortable with myself at the front of the room. And one night at the front of the room at the Pikes Peak Library, I said to this room full of about 30 people, hey, do you guys want to hear a funny story? And I just, for some reason, I just full bore with total freedom, started telling the streaking story. Now, you need to understand, I had told the streaking story as a stand-up comic in L.A., and I'd never got a laugh. Really? Because I didn't know what I was doing. I just stood there, and I told 
the story that in Colorado Springs at the Pikes Peak Libra Library, I was acting like I was running down the street. Here I come, here I come. And I was screaming and yelling and acting like I'm running and, 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 and being naked, running down the street naked and getting arrested and handcuffed. And I'm acting all of this stuff out. And I was just having a blast. And all of a sudden I looked out because the, the people in the room were laughing so hard that it was hard for me to keep a straight face and keep telling the story. I mean, tears were streaming on some of their faces. They were laughing so hard. And I thought, what is happening? I told this story in LA and I never got a laugh. And as I got in my car and I was driving home, I had to sit there and process what was different. What was the difference between standing there at a microphone in a comedy club and telling the story and what I did at the front of that room. Well, I didn't just tell the story. I became the story. I acted out running down the street. I acted out getting handcuffed. I acted out sitting on the bench at the, at the police station. I did the dialogue. It's like all of a sudden the story went from like a three minute interesting thing to like an eight or nine minute hilarious piece of theater. Mm -hmm. And that was the beginning of story theater. That's where I discovered, oh, that's Doug at the front of the room. That's Doug unleashed. That's Doug having fun. That's Doug telling a story. And from there, I started to tell that story more and more and more and more. And one day at NSA in Colorado, I did a showcase and I told the streaking story and I didn't know that I was doing anything really different because I just had been in front of just normal, ordinary audiences, but in front of a room full of professional speakers, they looked at me and they said, what is that? Mm -hmm. People mm -hmm. came up to me afterward. And one guy in particular, this guy, Tom, he said, what is that that you just did? I've never seen someone tell a story like that. Is that acting? Cause you said you were an actor. And I said, well, I, yeah, I guess, I guess. And he says, teach me how to do that. I, I want you to teach me how to do that. Could you do a class? And so I did my first story theater retreat in 1996. And I started to teach it. And as you know, in order to teach something, you need to really sit back and think about how am I going to teach it? Yeah. What am I going to say? How can I break it down? How can I analyze what it is that I do? And over the years, I did more and more story theater retreats. I started to develop the methodology. I called it the story theater method. I taught it. I taught it. I taught it. Wrote the book. Created mm -hmm. the audio systems and the video systems. And now here I am. Mm -hmm. 25 years later, mm -hmm. I, am, I am a professional storytelling and business speaker, trainer, and coach. So I have a couple of questions. One, you mentioned something that I think is interesting. You talked about the fact that you failed in Hollywood. And I want to talk about the experience of failure and trying again, because sometimes, do you know that stupid expression, failure is not an option? I think it came out of- um, Yeah, I know. It's, yeah. It's, a, it's a dumbass thing. It is. It's stupid. It's just um, like- there's another one. If you know, if you're gonna do it, do it right the first time. Right, and those are stupid. <laughs> They're me. stupid, right? I, I stupid. don't often do things right the first time. <laughs> no, most of us don't, and we no. do fail. So, tell me some of the lessons that you learned, and what was it in you that made you know you could turn it around? Well, I've always had a belief in 
myself and my talent and my uh, ability to find my way forward. Because I, I, I mean, I hitchhiked to Hollywood with $250 in my pocket and a knapsack on my back. And I didn't know anybody in Hollywood and I didn't know how I was going to make it work. I just knew I have to go and I'm going to figure it out. So I've always had this inherent kind of kamikaze, courageous streak mm-hmm. and put together with a little bit of stubbornness. Mm-hmm. Well, I knew that I could figure it out and I did. I figured it out. I got there. I figured it out. I, I went out and I found an agent and I auditioned for movies and TV. But for some reason, I could do theater and I could get, you know, lots of jobs in theater, not paying jobs. I kept getting these, you know, freebie community theater kind of things in L.A. because there's it's hard to get paid to be an actor. It's very hard. And for some reason, the people that were the casting directors and the producers, they would take a look at me. I'd audition. Sometimes I'd get a call back and they'd kind of look at me and go, uh, no, no. OK, next. And I, I just, I, I just kept getting close, but no banana. I couldn't, I couldn't figure it out, and I lost myself in the process because I came more and more desperate, and more and more angry, and more and more resentful. It's like because I felt like I'm the next Bob Hope. Come on, <laughs> don't you guys see this? Don't you know? Yeah. And yeah. other actors would say, "Man, you're amazing," and certain directors would say, "You are amazing," but it didn't translate. So there was this like confusion. Well, eventually, <laughs> I realized. I, I'm not going to get anywhere here because I'm I'm so angry and I'm so resentful and I'm so burnt out. So I got out of L.A. in order to heal my soul. Mm. And in real estate, I started to find myself again because I was no longer trying to make it as an actor. I was just a normal, ordinary guy doing a normal, ordinary job, being a real estate agent. And I found success. But when I started speaking... I realized after the first five or six speeches, because I was terrified whenever I'd get up there, because I was trying to figure out what's my character. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I need a character. I, I, I don't have a director. I don't have lines. I don't know what to do. It's like I'm just making this stuff up, but I don't have a character because I was trying to be like this guy or that guy or that person or whatever. Because as an actor, I was a really good character actor. If you gave me my lines and gave me my character in the context of a play. Mm-hmm. But here I was just Doug. Mm-hmm. And I realized after a while, I don't have a Doug. I've never mm-hmm. had a Doug. I don't know what Doug is, which made me realize I need to start figuring out who the heck is Doug at the front of the room because I've always been given a character. Well, that was that was where I started to realize, wow, this is the disconnect that, that caused me to perhaps not have such a good success in Hollywood is I don't know who I am. I don't really get at the core who I am, but I did rediscover who I was because I knew who I was when I went to LA, I lost it in LA. I found it again in Colorado Springs and I found it at the front of the room as a speaker. I believed in myself and I'm stubborn as hell. And I persevered like crazy after I figured out that I wanted to be a professional speaker. I started to take my real estate money and put it into speaking and I marketed to MPI and ASTD and different groups. And for five years, Mm -hmm. I would do real estate during the day and I'd give a speech somewhere. And I'd do real estate during the day and I'd give a speech somewhere. And I slowly and slowly and slowly over a period of five years, it took me to go from full-time real estate to full-time speaking. But I believed in myself and I knew that audiences loved what I was doing 
And my streaking story was gold. That was absolutely gold. I actually, one time, because I kept marketing to speakers bureaus who are agents for speakers. And I kept marketing to, to because they're like the agents in Hollywood. If you're an actor, you need an agent. Well, in speaker in speaking, you need a speakers bureau if you're going to be a keynoter. And I kept marketing to all these bureaus. And they said, you're not ready. Don't even talk to me. One day, after I'd been marketing to this one woman in Waterloo, Iowa, for years, sending her videos of my keynotes, sending her my reviews, sending her my testimonial letters. One day I was talking to her and she says, you know what, Doug? I watched your latest video and I think you're ready. And here's why. That streaking story, that's gold. I can sell that. Mm -hmm. And when I get off the phone with her, I thought, what did she just say? Mm -hmm. That streaking story is gold. I can sell that. And that's when I really understood the power of story as being a commodity. Mm -hmm. It's like a product. It's like she's going to sell me based on my story. story. And I realized over the years, lots of speakers bureaus did the same thing because they can remember your story, but they can't remember your 10 steps. Right. But they can remember your story. They, they can remember your story and they can sell you based on your story. Yeah. So, you know, that's kind of the evolution. But to go back to the question is, I have a stubborn belief in myself that I'm going to figure it out. Mm -hmm. And I have had so much rejection in my life. So much rejection. But I have a spiritual philosophy. What is mine will find me. I love that. What is mine will find me. Because I realized in Hollywood, it's like, no, that wasn't mine. That wasn't, wasn't where I was you. supposed to be. That that's that wasn't my life. That was what I thought was my direction. But basically, the same skills and talents that I had as an actor, comedy and drama and be able to perform, were the same things that I was using at the front of the room. It wasn't that my skills and my talents weren't there. They weren't valuable. They weren't good or excellent. It's I was just in the wrong venue. I was in the wrong place. I needed to, it's kind of like being in a relationship. You're in a wrong relationship. You need to get out of that relationship. That doesn't mean you can't ever have a good relationship. That means you're in the wrong one. Wrong relationship. Get yeah. out of that job. Get out of that relationship. Find another place. Well, that's been basically my life. It's like, go somewhere else, find something else, try it again in a different way, in a different place. And that those skills were valuable. It's You didn't discount your skills. You recognized that the skills were very valuable, but they were planted in the wrong place. I had to repurpose everything. I yeah. just had to find a different context. Yeah. So it I was wanted, painful. It was painful. Oh, I'm sure. And, and acknowledging the fact that it was a failure, that it was painful, and that you moved on. Because that's the, the important piece of it. It is. You got to move on. You yeah. got to get back up and move on and try again somewhere else. Yeah. So I want to understand when you talk about storytelling, most of my listeners are leaders. Can you help us understand what storytelling is in the context of leadership? Because my leaders can't go into work and talk about streaking when they're, you know, addressing the board of directors, addressing their teams. So what do you mean when you're saying storytelling and how does it apply to people in leadership roles? Well, I'll tell you a story because that's how I illustrate just about everything that makes it come alive. Because stories are sticky. Stories are memorable because of the way they work with the brain, the heart, the emotion, the head, the heart, the soul. So there was a, a, a leader that I was working with out in Portland. 
And he was um, the CFO, Chief Financial Operator. Basically, he was an accountant who'd risen up to CFO. But the leader of the company, the founder of the company was going to retire. And this CFO said, Doug, if I can change their perception of me, I can be chosen to be the CEO. But I've got to change their perception of me because they just see me as an accountant and I'm boring. When I give a presentation, I'm boring. Well, a lot of people who become CEO rise through the ranks of finance. Chief financial officers, they're good number crunchers, but they're not engaging speakers because they're, that's not their brain. So I worked with him a little bit and I said, well, what do you do outside of, uh, what do you do outside of work? And he says, well, I run uh, marathons. And I looked at this guy and I said, you run marathons? He says, yeah, I run marathons. And I said, tell me a little bit about one of your marathons. And he started telling me the story about his marathon. And I worked with him a little bit. I said, okay, so when you're when you're talking about running the marathon, just kind of like act like you're jogging a little bit across the stage as you're talking about it. And, you know, use your arms a little bit. And he started to do that. And he started to have a little bit of fun. And as we worked on the story, he started to find his personality, the personality that he had outside of work. Mm -hmm. And I said, you are engaging. You are interesting. It's just that you seem to think that when you go into the office, you need to put on this role of CFO and you shrink into that role and you don't let people see all of who you are because if they knew you ran marathons, they would be blown away. Now, let's take that marathon story and apply it to business. What are some of the things you've learned personally about yourself that apply to business? And he said, well, um, discipline. I said, okay, that's one of the lessons you could use it for. What else? Um, perseverance. Oh, okay, okay. What else? Um not comparing yourself to other people. Oh, okay. So we went through this list of three or four or five different things. And I said, so right now, based on what's going on in your organization, which one of those lessons would be most applicable? And he said, perseverance. Right now, we're in a rough patch. We're in a rough patch and we're going through some changes with our, our, our operating systems and people are really frustrated and I need them to persevere. I said, good. So what we're going to do is we're going to craft that marathon story. They're going to see a new side of you, a more fun side, a more a, a more dynamic side. Because if you're running a marathon, you're a pretty powerful guy. And he says, yeah, yeah, I am. I said, they don't see me like that. Mm -hmm. I said, good. This is how we change their perception. You tell a story about you, not about business, not about numbers, not about you know projections. You tell a story about running a marathon, but then you tie the story to a lesson that is relevant to the business at this moment. He, he, he went off and he did a presentation like that. And a couple of weeks later, I got an email from him. He says, Doug, I have never had that kind of response. And I had one of the guys who's seen me speak many, many times come up to me and said, I don't know what the heck you did, but that was the best presentation you've ever done. I've never seen you like that in my life. And he was just ecstatic. Mm -hmm. It's the stories, the personal stories that we can tell that allow people to see us 
as human beings, not just as the role of leader, CFO, CMO, CLO, whatever that is, president, because people put leaders off into this little corner over there. It's like they're powerful and they're unapproachable and they're just that thing. Mm -hmm. But if you ask a leader, well, are you a dad? Yeah. Are you a husband? Yeah. Are you a cousin? Yeah. Do you do things that are interesting? Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm part of my church and I'm at a rotary club. And I was like, like, yeah, let's, let's, let's find some of those stories that are very personal because when you tell a personal story, you touch into your humanity and you share some vulnerability and some truth because the story has an obstacle in it, an obstacle that has to be overcome. Because that's what all stories are. Stories are about overcoming obstacles, learning lessons from overcoming obstacles. So when a leader gets out of this role of I'm just the role and I have to hide in the role and I have to be this cool guy or this cool woman or this powerful person. Now, I can tell a story about when I was in college and I screwed up mm-hmm. or about how I got fired from my first job. Or, or whatever. It's like, no, tell me stories where you learned a life lesson and then apply that lesson to the business. Mm-hmm. And that's where stories come in for leaders is, and I've worked with lots of leaders who say to me, they don't perceive me the way people outside of work perceive me. That's interesting. That's interesting. Because that's about how you're showing up at work. Yeah. yeah. Right. Well, a lot of us have this imposter syndrome. It's like, I need to be this kind of person. Yeah. And we don't bring our whole selves into the equation. The most powerful leaders are the ones who are real human beings all day long. They don't step out of who they are off stage and then become something on stage or off of work and on work. I remember this one corporation that I worked with, one of the largest banks in the the nation, and they asked me to come into their annual convention. I mean, like 10,000 bank employees coming to the uh, convention center in Denver. And they asked me to do five breakout sessions on storytelling for leaders. So I'm doing these breakout sessions one after another. And after every single one, somebody come up and say, oh, Doug, you should see our leader. Our president is such a great storyteller. And I kept hearing this like this, like this guy's got this reputation mm-hmm. as this great storyteller. Mm-hmm. And they were bragging about their leader. They had reverence for this guy. Well, that night there was a big banquet and they said, yeah, you can come to the banquet. So I'm sitting there in, an, in, in this gigantic room and, you know, dinner and all this fancy stuff and white tablecloths. And they introduce him and he gets up there and he tells a story about running a 5K. I don't know mm-hmm. what the deal is with people running, but <laughs> it just was a coincidence that he also got up there and he told a story about running a 5K. And without my coaching, I'd never met the guy. He's doing a little jogging across the stage and it wasn't super theatrical. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a really well-crafted story, but it was a story. Mm-hmm. And he applied the lesson of the story to the business. Mm-hmm. And I thought, okay, here's a guy who is revered and respected. And I could feel the, the the love for this guy, the respect for this guy. And it was partially because he was a good storyteller. storyteller. He was just a real human being up there. And he was willing to be vulnerable and real and tell the truth. But in a strategic way. You don't just tell a story that doesn't have anything to do with anything. The story is strategically chosen to make the point that you want to make. The trick is you start telling a story about running a 5K in a business context, and people are sitting there going, where the heck is this going? Now you have intrigue. Mm. 
-hmm. because people can't figure out where you're going. Predictable, being predictable as a speaker, as a leader is terrible. It's boring. But you start telling a story about your Thanksgiving dinner that went nuts. And I'm wondering, what has that got to do with anything? Now you have intrigue. Mm -hmm. You and I know we're going to tie this disastrous Thanksgiving dinner to a business lesson about teamwork or about preparation or about moving on or whatever. Whatever. So, you know, there's a strategy to everything that I do with story, but leaders who are storytellers will get far more engagement and buy-in than leaders who just tell it straight, just tell the facts. You know, when you were talking, I thought about this. I don't know if I heard it in your workshop or in somebody else's workshop at NSA, but it was, don't be the hero of all your stories, that you have to be what you just said, vulnerable, that you have to admit the mishaps. So I think that those are important things because I I do believe if you're the hero, if you always, you know, won, conquered, that then your story is alienating. It doesn't help people. It's also probably not true. Um, well, I think people get confused when they say, well, I'm telling a story about myself. So aren't I the hero of the story? It's like, well, if you're telling a story about yourself where you messed up and learned a lesson, mm-hmm. that doesn't sound like the hero to me. Right. Because like in Star Wars, Luke Skywalker turns out to be the hero. But what does he have to do along the way? He has to face all kinds of obstacles and challenges along the way. So does he feel like the hero? Well, contextually, yeah, he's the hero of the story. Mm -hmm. But the story doesn't just have him show up and be amazing. Right. No, he has to fight through all kinds of obstacles. Every movie is built around obstacles, challenges, misunderstandings. You know, it's just like that's the core of story. The core of story is somebody goes off on a journey. Mm-hmm. to accomplish something. It can be something big or small. Along the way, there are challenges and obstacles. We learn how we figure out how to overcome those challenges and obstacles. And in the overcoming, we learn a lesson. We figure something out. Now we resolve the story. How did things How did things work out? And then we translate that into, and what I learned from that experience is, mm-hmm. and then we teach a lesson. There's a strategy. There's a technique. I mean, that's what my story theater methodology is. The nine steps of story structure, the phrase that pays, the strategic use of a story to make a strategic point. It's all very, very strategic. So I I don't just say to, I don't just say to leaders, just tell stories, you'll be fine. No, you got to know why you're telling that story. Mm -hmm. It's a tool. Mm -hmm. So as we wrap up, I want to ask you, well, I want to ask you a couple of things. One, would you be willing to come back and talk about the how of good storytelling? And in also, how can people find you? Do you still offer coaching, retreats, consulting? So that was a lot of questions all at once. You're going to come back, right? I would be glad to come back and, and go a little bit uh, more into a deep dive of how. Because mm-hmm. that's really where the rubber hits the road. It's like, don't just tell stories. You need to know what you're doing. There's a technique to storytelling. So I'll come back and I'll do that. And yes, I am now retired from the road. I don't get on planes anymore and go speak all over the world. I've I've stopped doing that because I've been doing it for 30 years. And it's like, I'm sorry, I just got tired of getting on plane. So now 
I am a virtual coach and consultant for people who want to work on their speech, their keynote, for people who want to transition from whatever they're doing into professional speaking, or for people who just say, I want to give a TED talk. Mm-hmm. I need to, I, I've got a story that I want to tell and I don't know how to tell it. Could you help me tell my story or my stories or strategize with me? What are my stories? And so I do a lot of virtual coaching. After I get off with you, I've got mm-hmm. two more calls today with two clients. Okay. Okay. So, so yes. people can reach you virtually. The retreats, do you still do the retreats? No, I don't do the retreats either. I stopped okay. doing those. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you. And I look forward to you coming back and talking about the how to use story in business. Thank you so much for coming today. You're quite welcome. And if people want to get in touch with me, they can email me at Doug at DougStevenson.com. Stevenson with a V, -V S-T-E-V-E-N-S-O-N. Doug at DougStevenson.com. Thanks. Thank you, Doug. Thanks for listening to this podcast. I hope that you got tools that you'll actually use and share. Subscribe to get more relevant leadership learning. Check out my YouTube channel to stay prepared for leading in an ever-evolving world. Thank you.